Okay, all right. Okay, so um, yes, we also had a pro-Palestinian protest in the House today. Uh, it, was, it was very short, actually, because the speaker actually did something. Um, it's her job, and she knows she's in the sights of everybody in the state right now, and including uh, my lawsuit is contributing to that. And so um, it was quickly squelched, and, um, and I've, I've read four or five different reports of what happened, and it's interesting. Uh, most of us in the Republican caucus just got up and walked out. We had made a decision ahead of time. We're not going to play these stupid games. You want to do this, and you don't want to control the House, then we're going to leave. And so, um, plus, there's actually uh, two or three, there's actually a few more than that, representatives that are, that are very af afraid of what is happening. Um, I won't mention, but they have reasons to be afraid. And uh, they're, they're scared somebody's going to do something and throw something down from above, because we're, we're sitting ducks down there. And, um, and so they're worried about that. And it's not safe. Our house is not safe right now. Um, they were doing it over in the Senate, too. I, I'm not in the Senate, so I don't know how safe they feel or what the sergeant arms and stuff are doing over there. They, they, can't, they can't have been stopped like they were by our speaker um, in special session. I would assume the Senate wouldn't do that. But, yeah, it's not a, it's not a safe environment right now. Uh, that's, that's the scary point. And then, and then if you're conservative and you say one word, you get screamed and yelled at, and, and pro-Palestinian protesters can sit and scream and yell for an hour. And these are rep representatives. These aren't just the protesters up above. And so it is a very unsafe environment. We had two different representatives resign in the last month, and they were appointed position changes, pointed people into their position, because they do not feel safe. That is exactly what they said in the media, uh, both Democrats, none of them Republicans that do not feel safe. Yes, sir. <clears throat> yeah, so the question was, for you guys in line, um, uh, do you, why don't we feel safe? Aren't there metal detectors and things like that? Yes, there are. But um, representatives like me, we get to go around the metal detectors in case there's something in our bag that we don't want everybody to know about. Because representatives have the constitutional right to carry on the floor of the House. Now, none of the, none of the aides and stuff can have that. Nobody else can. But representatives can carry on the floor of the House. So that rather than the, sign, the thing beep and then they pull out your gun, you're like, oh, I had my bag. Um, but, but I can carry it, you know, and then put it back in your bag. It's better just let us go around. Since we're allowed to do that anyway. And so here's a thing that, that some people noticed today was they have to be, somebody has to be letting these people in improperly and illegally into the house. And there are ways to do that. It's, it's a big building. There's lots of ways to accomplish that. Um, but it has to be somebody with a, an access card that can let them in a door that doesn't have um, um, metal detectors and things. It, it was obvious today that they had things that should not have gotten by the metal detectors. Does that answer your question? Yeah, there is, but so so some of the doors that only we can get through, right? It's no, there's no metal detectors. There's a sensor, you know. And at, at morning time, you've got 50 or 100 people going in and out those doors constantly, going back to their cars, getting stuff out of their cars. Um, it's supposed to be you're you're not allowed to let somebody else in through that door. That's supposed to what be what's happening, but it doesn't always, and it's putting us in danger. And that's the job of the, uh, the Speaker of the House. It's actually the job of the state police, but the state police get attacked by the Speaker of the House when they do their job. That was very public in the last session. Uh, session, I mean, the, uh, the spring session, when they had a bunch of the Second, Amend the Second Amendment uh, protesters. They, uh, the, the Sergeant Arms and the uh, state police, and, and this is on video, it's online. But they came and, uh, and tried to take the students very carefully. They were you know, 16, 17-year-old students, high school students, and, and take them out. They were falling on the floor and screaming, and one guy acted like he was going to jump over the banister down into the gallery. So, so they restrained them and took them out politely, way more politely than most people uh, would have done. And uh, they got attacked in the newspaper by the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader that they were brutally treated and that uh, the, all of these people need to be fired. So then in special session when this happened, Palestinian pro-Palestinian pro protest, um, 
the sergeant arms gingerly moved their direction. Because why? They got last time they got threatened to be fired. The state police kind of stood there and watched. It's not their fault. They're doing their job, but then they get attacked in the media by the, the highest offices in state level in our state. And why why rush and why rush into the fire if if you're getting burned before you ever stepped in? And um, and then we and we have this on video too, where some of the police said, "Should we take this person out by hand signals?" And the speaker shook her head, "No." So that's why last time at special session, extraordinary, super duper special session, um, it took 45 minutes to clear the house. She's learned her lesson to a great extent, and so today it took about five minutes to clear the house. Plus, there are people that have pressured her with lawsuits and things to make this even more viable for her. So, all right. Anything else? What? Um, yeah, the, here's the thing that's coming up. We've already dealing with this, but it's also coming up, talk, talking about the Second Amendment. Is law-abiding citizens, it's becoming more and more difficult to uh, own a firearm because of the, and, and they got another bill. We've already seen it. It's going to come up pretty quick. That's going to make it very difficult. In fact, what it is, is it's designed, it's called, uh, um, you can't carry a gun. You can't conceal carry. Even if you have a concealed carry permit, you can't conceal carry in, in sensitive places. And sensitive places is not really defined. It will be defined by the state afterwards. But it did include a list of things, like churches is on the list. Um, I think... Um, Certain types of businesses, grocery stores, all that kind of stuff. So then here's the thing with that, and I've said this, I'm, I'm saying this publicly and with reporters listening, and I know they're listening, is the state is not going to tell our church what to do. The state is not going to tell me as the pastor what to do. They do not, we are mentioned in the Constitution. It says church. In the Constitution. <laughs> and so they, this will, they, they will lose this at the Supreme Court. They've already lost four other ones in the last four years exactly, uh, well, similar enough to this. But these people are Marxist bullies. You spell that M-A-R-X. Okay, I'm just making sure everybody listening knows what I said. They're Marxist bullies. They don't care what people think. They want to shut down free speech. They can't stand it. All right, let's move on. Psalms 119. I'm excited about this. I, I love Psalms 119. So just quickly, somebody off the top of their head, what is Psalms 119 about? The Word. It's all about itself. It's about the Bible. Um. I've talked about this before. There's some really cool things about Psalms 119 that, um, that, that these things get lost in English, um, but they're, I think they're pretty amazing things. But if you'll, look, if you'll go to Psalms 119 in your, in your Bible or phone or whatever you're using for, um, for Scripture, um, the first section has a section heading. What's the name of the, what's the section heading? Aleph. What is the second section heading? Beth. Now, that's as far as I can go because after that you'll be confused by what I'm about to say. But it helps to see those two. Um, these are the letters of the alphabet in Hebrew. Okay? In Greek, you have, what is the first letter in Greek? Alpha. Right? Okay? What does that mean in Greek? The beginning, right? Now, in, in English, the letter A means what? Yeah, it means nothing. The letter B means what? Buh. That's literally the meaning of the, the letters. We don't do this in English, right? But in Greek, each letter has... So the last letter of the Greek alphabet is what? Omega. What does it mean? The end, phani, okay? So Hebrew is the same way. He, uh, the, the letters in Hebrew are actually words, and they mean something, okay? They have, a, they have a meaning to them, all right? Now, here's the cool thing about this. 
is if we could all read Hebrew here, well, there's a bunch of problems to, to get this exactly like this in English. If I, once I tell you this, you're going to try to figure this out in English. It does not work in English, okay? The point will, and we're going to actually talk about that a little bit, the point kind of you can get there kind of, but there's enough difference between Hebrew and English. Even the, even the direction of the words and the, and the flow of words are going to be very different. Uh, they're they're going to be different enough that we're going to struggle to even see something close here. Okay? But here's the cool thing about um, each of these sections in 119. Every single section, I left Beth, every single one of these sections in, in Hebrew are all about the same thing, which is Psalms 119. It's all about the Word. Every section is about the Word of God, okay? It'll call it laws, it'll call it statues, all these kind of things um, in English, but every single section is about the Word of God. Now, interestingly, if you're reading this in Hebrew, um, the, the section, the first section, Aleph, that letter, Hebrew letter, is the beginning of each, I was about to say sentence, but that's not right, phrase. The, the word Aleph, the letter Aleph is the beginning of each phrase in the Hebrew for that section. Like, so, so for us, the first sentence, joyful are the people of integrity. Joyful would start with the letter F, Aleph, not F. Aleph. The next sentence, is joyful. The letter Aleph. Okay? Now, because we can tell there are, it doesn't work in English. You can see that quickly, right? But every single one of those sentences um, start with Aleph. And it gets even cooler than that. The intention or the thought process of each one of those sentences is what? If you're following the train of thought here, the definition of the word Aleph. So that section, each sentence starts with Aleph, or phrase, and the definition of each one of those phrases stays consistent with the meaning of the word Aleph. Then you go to the next section. Every sentence or phrase in the next section starts with the letter Beth. And it also means what Beth means throughout that entire paragraph. Now, that's amazing enough, okay? Somebody really had to think through this a long time. Because, oh, by the way, the entire chapter still is about what? The Word of God. So now you've got three layers before you've said one sentence. Right? Then on top of that, it is scripturally consistent with the rest of the Word of God, including stuff that had not been written yet. This is a supernatural thing. Now, not always do we see how supernatural the, the, um, a book in the Bible is because it, it is story form, it's narrative, it's historical, all this kind of stuff. But when you take just Psalms 119 out and you, and you just isolate that, to me it makes all the rest of the books go, wow. This is an amazing thing we call the Bible. This is an absolute amazing thing we call the Bible. And then on, on top of that... When, when Jesus uh, says things and the apostles in the writing of the epistle, the epistle writers say things like, this is the living word of God. Wow. And it's, and it's never wrong. It's never wrong. I mean, you constantly have critics of the Bible coming and trying to figure out how to prove the Bible's wrong. You know what, let me give you a little, let me give you a little insight, a little help, just to kind of process this. Because every generation comes along, and somebody in that generation, and I've seen this for about three or four generations now, um, the, the, they'll come to me and, and uh, say, 
how do we know the word of God is right? I read this somewhere. And I read this somewhere. Now, I never want to be uh, one that takes away the inquisitiveness of somebody. Being inquisitive about the word of God is important. It's healthy. But I think, I think it's, just, it's just beneficial if you just start with the mindset, this is the living, active word of God. It's, it's God-breathed or carried along on the breath of the Holy Spirit, and it's infallible. If you start there, it makes a lot of other things easier. Now, if you say, well, I'm not sure that it is. Okay, then just do your homework, and it'll take you about 30 minutes to arrive at that conclusion, right? The, the reason I'm saying that is I did spend some time really wondering and struggling. This, this is 25, 30 years, 30 years plus ago, really processing, is the Bible really true? Because I was reading stuff. Hey, I was reading things. I, I've got a book in my office that's called, um, um, I can't remember exactly the name, but basically it's the other books. It's the other gospel, like the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Tom. I mean, not Matthew. That one made the cut. The, go, the gospel of Tom. Not even the Apocrypha. That's not what I'm talking about. Although that could be included in the concept. But things like the gospel of Thomas and stuff like that. Okay. These are heretical books. Um, but here's the, here's the reality of this. I've read them. I've read through them. There's like eight or nine of them in this book that I have that people are saying, these should have made the cut. These should have made the cut. Well, here is part of the deal. And this is not, this is a faith thing, but I don't think it's a huge leap. At least not for me, it's not a huge leap. People have been trying to destroy, tear down, ultra over critique, find every little mistake in the word of God for for, including the New Testament, for at least 2,000 years. Nobody's been able to accomplish it. Don't you think there has been smart enough people over time to at least uh, figure out a few cracks in the wall? In fact, when I, when I went to um, seminary back in like um, 2000, 2001, something like that, um, to get my master's, they, they were... One of the last things that had befuddled some people over the years about the accuracy, uh, the inerrancy of the Bible, they figured it out. And it was the very last one. There is nothing in the Bible that all the cr critics say, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. There's nothing in the Bible they have not proved the validity and the, and the uh, infallibility of. Okay. So when people say things like, well, I even have people say, Things like, well, homosexuality is not mentioned in the Bible. Oh, my goodness. You, you want to say, okay, how about this? Let's take every page that it's mentioned and you eat those pages. How about that? Is that a good deal? So, so it, it, this, is, this is just that people say things and assume things. Why? Because they, find, they see something on the History Channel. They say, I, I, I had somebody tell me one time, Oh, I watched this show on the History Channel. They proved there were aliens in the Bible. Proved? Proved? They, they come up with all kinds of suppositions and vague this and vague that, and then they go, how, how did that happen? Aliens. Therefore, it's proved. So, so the reason I'm saying all of this, guys, is the Bible is the most amazing thing. There's a reason why we have the books that we have in the Bible, and there's a reason why we don't have the books that are in the Bible. Now, there are certain things that I do study that are called extra-biblical books. In fact, I think a really good book to study if you're a student of the Bible is the book of Josephus. Um, Josephus was a historian at the time of Christ. He hated Jesus, couldn't stand him, thought he was a charlatan. But some of the best extra-biblical historical proof of Jesus is recorded by Josephus, who was trying to do the opposite. He was trying to disprove the validity of Jesus. So he was recording all of his miracles and all this stuff, a lot of them, and then saying, yeah, but he faked that or faked this or this was made up. But he recorded them as the time of the day as this is actually what happened and people saw it, but this is how we can explain it away. Nowadays, when you read the explain it away, it makes no sense. And he didn't realize, he, he gave some of the best historical evidence to the Bible there is. Because why? God's cool that way, right? So this is my suggestion. Always be getting in the Word of God with a, uh, a critical eye. 
not a critical eye of uh, whether God's real or whether the Bible's real. If you'll get a lot, I mean, you can do that, but if you just jump ahead and say, okay, the Bible's real, God's real, I already believe all of that, it's already established, and here's another suggestion. All the stuff in the Bible is true. If you, get, if you can get to there, it's not metaphor, they're not fables, it's all true. If you can jump up to there, then your critical eye will actually help you see things the Holy Spirit's trying to show you rather than Satan confusing you because you're not walking in faith in the process. Have a, have a, um, a sensitive spirit to maybe things are not the way I've always seen them. That's healthy. That's actually very healthy. Um, regardless of, of what your background is, when you read a Bible story, try to read it from the point of view of this is the first time you've ever seen it. That's, that's impossible to do. I understand that. But you can at least try a little bit. And so, in other words, break down the details. Break down every little detail and say, oh, I wonder what that would, would look like today. You know, the story of Samson, when he goes and, and finds the, kills the lion, comes back and finds the honey in the lion and eats the honey. Well, that... You know, he, he, he defiled himself. Well, kind of read that and what that would look like today. Start off with, I'm walking down the road and a lion jumps out. All of a sudden, that story has a little feel to it, doesn't it? Oh, Samson just killed the lion. You know, he was Superman or whatever. But he, but he was still a human and he killed a lion. So um, process the Word of God. Try to process it like, oh, I haven't really noticed it like that. Slow it down. Read through the stuff. And really try to analyze, what is this saying in a macro sense? What is it saying in a micro sense? What is it saying to me now? The, the intent of Scripture is the same no matter when you land on the earth. But culturally, how we um, adapt that and develop it is very different from culture to culture and time frame to time frame. So kind of get the cultural understanding, but then process, what, what would God be saying to me right now about this? How does this apply directly to me? What would it look like if I was different people within this story? That's one of the ways that I do it, is I put myself in the, the shoes of the person there, right? I, I tell you, one of, the, one of the ways that I did this years, years ago, it kind of opened my eyes to see things, is I was reading the story of Balaam's donkey, and I thought to myself, what if I was that donkey? What was the donkey thinking? What was the donkey going through? And it dawned on me, this donkey was not doing anything wrong, but all of a sudden an angel stands in his way and his master keeps beating him. This is an unfair moment for the donkey at God's expense, right? Or at God's price, his expense, I guess. But, but then to process that. And then the donkey speaks. Have you ever wondered what the donkey thought was going on? I mean, seriously. So when you do that and you start trying to process the stories, you can get a better grasp of, Maybe the Lord is showing me this. Maybe he's showing me this. And, uh, and be careful that you don't always just take the canned biblical focus that uh, you grew up hearing in church. Okay? Stories are so much bigger oftentimes than you're going to get in a sermon. There's not enough time in sermons. There's not enough depth in sermons, um, including mine, although I do try to do that very thing, get a little depth and stuff. But I'm not taking it from... All the voices out there, okay? Uh, I'll double-check some things sometimes, but I think I've been studying God's Word enough now that I can hear the Holy Spirit about things. I think you can too. You following me there? If you say, well, I just don't get it all the time. Okay, then sit down with somebody. Now, I'm speaking about the Word of God Sunday, and this is part of the reason I'm going over this tonight, is for us to really process um, the, the idea of the Word of God, my commitment to it, the depth of it in my life, all these kind of things. And we're going to look at some stuff as we go through this. But let's go to verse 33 of Psalms 119. As we need to constantly be studying God's Word. Constantly be studying God's Word. I saw a little thing, a meme or something, I think, on Facebook or something. It said if, our, if we read our Bibles like we did our phones, and it shows this guy walking around with a Bible open, and he's bumping into people on the street and, and missing the, the red light and, and the green light and all this other stuff because his Bible is open. And, and uh, I thought, you know, I could make that video and show a few more times that probably wouldn't be appropriate for the video. Like when you're in the bathroom, read the Bible, not play games on your phone. 
right? I mean, there's tons of stuff that we can do to say, I've got time to really interact with God. I've got time to read the Word. I've got time. I, I made it a point years ago, a long, long time ago. I was, had been a youth pastor. I was going to be a pastor, and, and I had time off between that because I usually when God told me it's time to go, I just resigned. <laughs> I didn't, like, talk to Linda about it and stuff. I mean, we did a little bit, but not a lot sometimes. So, um, so then I'm spending six months trying to figure out what God is saying next. Well, I got a job. I got, at this time, I had three jobs and a fourth every now and then, but I had three jobs. And one of them was driving a dump truck every day. And, uh, and I just decided I, I've got a lot of downtime. And when a dump truck pulls up to drop asphalt or do something, they sit there oftentimes for a while. If you're waiting to have dirt pulled out of the ground and put in your truck to take somewhere, you sit there for a while. And especially if you've got a crew of trucks, um, and we had 37 trucks in this crew. That's massive. That Normally you don't do that. And so I'd be sitting sometimes an hour. Well, I just decided I'm not going to waste that time. I'm going to redeem that time. So I just took my Bible with me, and I read my Bible while I'm sitting there. Why not? What else am I going to do? Just sitting there. You can find time to read God's Word, and we've got to. It's vitally important. So, um, verse 33 and, and here's some of the questions. Look for, like, the theme, if you can pick up on a theme, if you can uh, see some consistencies through this. Some, some, uh, is there, this is what Scripture does sometimes, that it'll build on itself. Is it doing that? Does it, have a, um, does it do a repeating thing, like it'll say something and explain that for a few verses, say something else, explain that? Or sometimes it'll say something, explain it, loop back around, say uh, almost the same thing, explain it differently. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at Scripture, specifically when it comes to Psalms, um, and even Proverbs, but Psalms are the most. There's all kinds of, of patterns and loops and all kinds of things of how the people wrote. In fact, if you guys know the Psalm, it says um, there are, um, what is it, uh, three things that I hate, no four. You know what I'm talking about? There are three things that I hate, no four. That's, that's a literary thing that he's doing. He didn't halfway through the sentence go, wait, no, there are four right? Because he does it over and over. That's a literary thing to make you think about what he's saying. Oh, there's three things. Wait, no, there's four. So he's putting emphasis on that. So you kind of follow him in that rhythm, okay? And then he says, then there's three things and then there's four, you know? Um, So it's not like he made a mistake. It's intentional. Those things are intentional, right? So verse 33, teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end, To the end of what? Your life, right? What else is there to end of? Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I I don't think you can be a Christian for very long at all before you say that. God, if you'll just tell me what to do, I'll do it. Isn't that what he's saying? Help me understand what you're saying, and I'll just do that. Now, there's there's an interesting... um, thing that goes on within our Christian walk here. Uh, God wants to speak to you. He's given you the ability to hear him, but it's not always easy to get right to the point. Sometimes it's God's doing. Most of the time it's our doing, right? What are some reasons that sometimes it might be difficult to really hone in and, and hear what God is trying to tell us? Okay, we have a different plan and God's not He'll let, us, he'll let us tout and pray for our plan all day long, and he'll just sit there and wait until you're done, and then he'll say, okay, now here's my plan. And usually we're like, no, 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 God, that can't be it. Uh, here's what it is, right? What's a potential, uh, another reason that might be why it's difficult for us to hear what God is saying sometimes? Too many distractions. Guys, I think that's the biggest one now. Well, let's start off with rebellion. Rebellion's the biggest one. But the, I think in our society today, the distractions, in a way that I don't, I don't remember when I was younger. I don't remember having this level of distractions um, in life, in society. But the biggest thing we have is we have an ongoing 24-7 distraction in our hand at all times. And not only that, but it's plugged up to the entire world so that we can all be distracted together. It's, it's amazing to me. So I was sitting in this little place 
um, was it Christmas morning, I never get to go to brunch on Sunday mornings. And to me, that's one of the coolest things. Like 10 years ago, I went to brunch at the Broadmoor. Awesome. Um, I, I mean, they, they literally uh, took my car for a week so I could pay for it. But, but I like to do that. And so I, I told the family, I said, hey, we're not going to church Sunday morning. Why don't we get up and let's go to brunch uh, on Sunday morning? Everybody's like, okay, all right. So we went to this little place over here. It's all right. But um, you walk in, and everywhere in there, every inch of the wall is covered with uh, rock stars. Not all rock, some country, but music stars, mostly rock. Um, and I'm sitting there just looking around and realizing I know 95% of the faces in this on these walls. That bothered me a little bit. Because I, am, I intentionally am putting things into my mind that are not going to benefit me at all. How much time and energy am I working? Now, I, I am. I'm not saying I don't. But it just kind of convicted me, and I thought, I need to say this to the church. So they feel bad. Is how, how much of the word of God are we locking in our heart? Or how much of the other stuff are we locking in our heart? <clears throat> right? I pick, I, it was easy back in the day to pick on teenagers when I was a youth pastor with this. But it's the same with, with adults. It's amazing to me how many people know, and I, I know these are, this is already dated when I say this, but it's amazing to me how many people know what all of the uh, actors on the TV show Friends are doing, but we're not necessarily paying attention to what the guys in the Bible are doing, right? You take any female under about 30 right now, and they know every single word Taylor Swift says. They just do. Um, as politely as I can say this, who cares? Yes. Right? But do we know what the Word of God is saying? Right? So, give me understanding and I will obey instructions. I will put them into practice with all my heart. And that's, that's really the action. Put them into practice. What? God's instructions. Put them into practice. What are some things that God has instructed us to do? Love your neighbor. Great start. What's, what's even better than love your neighbor? Or it's at least equal to. Love God with everything about you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? What else has God told us to do? And? Go into the world and preach the gospel. Don't just go in the world. We got a lot of we got a lot of people that are doing that. That's not <clears throat> that's the problem with the church. But um, and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations. Right? What is something else God's told us to do? For what? What's the reasoning behind that? Is that that is the um, the command? But what is he followed up with? So that I won't sin. Right. So then, therefore, apparently, he says, don't sin. That's a lot right there. Just don't sin. And I'm telling you, as a teenager, I, now, I actually was working hard not to serve God as a teenager. But even as I got a little older, and then I gave my heart to the Lord, uh, it, it, sometimes it was difficult, especially in the first couple of years, it was difficult for me to think to myself, um, I don't want to sin. That was not my thinking. My thinking is, I don't get to sin. I never, I never intentionally said that. What I thought was, uh, my life is going to be horribly boring because all of the people that are sinning are having all the fun. And then I realized they're really not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade anything in my life for, for sin. There's not a sin out there right now that you can tell me, hey, you would really like this. It might be temporarily... Um, uh, satisfying, but I don't, I, I like the way my life is. I, I've, I, now, Lynn and I got married at 20, so when we were youth pastors at 20, 21, I would tell these guys, these teenagers in our youth group, guys, I promise you, marriage is worth the wait. Marriage is really cool. I don't want to not be married. Like, oh, you got to, you know, because I would not, 
I, I would, the guys would say, hey, let's all go play basketball. And I'd look at Linda, can I go play basketball? You know, Whatever. She never cared. But I was, you know, I'd be polite husband. They'd say, oh, you got to get permission from Linda. I don't have to get permission for nothing. Okay? Everybody clear? Right, Linda? I, can I say that? Okay. <laughs> but it's not that kind of thing. It's that I really enjoy this. That, you know, the old ball and chain. I've never understood that. I worked on a lot of construction sites in, over, my, over my years. Um, even while I was a pastor, I did work other jobs at different times. And uh, it's amazing sometimes how negative guys would talk about their wives. I don't understand that. Well, i got to go home to the old ball and chain. And then after work, everybody would go out to the bar for a couple hours before going home. I've never, I've never one time in my life understood that. When, when I'm done, I wanted to be with Linda, wherever that was. She didn't usually hang out in the bar, so I didn't go to the bar. But I wanted to be where she was. I've never understood some of these thought processes. But, but, but that same, now, you say, well, this is not the same thing. I think it's the same thing. I think we have that same mentality sometimes. I think oftentimes in our relationship with the Lord, we see the Lord as a ball and chain. He's limiting me. The Lord is not. He created the whole planet. How can he limit you? He's giving you access to everything that pertains to life and godliness. But they do have to go together. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. And I like that. The path of your commands is where happiness is found. And, and the sad thing is, is there's so many people around us every day that don't know that. If you just follow the Lord, your life would be so much better. So much better. Some you can actually tangibly, if you know, you look at, your, at their life, but then you're going to be being judgmental if you do that. But, but a lot of it you can't even describe. You, don't, you can't even really, you don't know for sure how the Lord's going to do all that in their life. But their life is going to be better. Right? Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. So the way he says that appears that those are, could potentially be opposites, right? Right? Um, the love of money is what? The root of all evil. It doesn't say money. That's usually the way people say it. Money is the root of all evil. Money is, money is a neutral thing. Money is not good or bad. Right? It's completely neutral. That's why when people say... Um, Oh, wealthy people are bad. How do you know whether they're bad? Well, they have a lot of money. That is not a qualifier of whether they're bad or not. That has nothing to do with it. Now, if they love their money, and, and the love here really means they've given themselves to it. Love, just like a marriage love, you've given yourself to it. Well, then, yeah, that is a problem for them. But I, I'm this, this may... Rub some people the wrong way here, but guys, in the, in the 33 years I've been a pastor, I have seen a lot more people that don't have money that are being controlled by the love of money than people that do have money. I've seen it. Poor people that are controlled by a love, not, not controlled by the lack of money. There are certain things that comes along with different economic places in life. Yes, um, poorer and poor people have a different lifestyle than rich people, right? They do it less and things like that. I understand that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is their hearts are controlled by it. And I've met poor people that money doesn't matter at all. Literally doesn't matter at all. You're just happy to be alive. You've got family. you got, you know. But, but some people are controlled. And, it, and I've seen it all across the economic spectrum. And then he says here... Give me an eagerness for your laws. And it seems to be in contrast to uh, loving money. I want to have eagerness or love for your laws like maybe I did before for love for money. This is kind of the way I feel on that one. So, turn my eyes from worthless things. It's not accidental that that sentence flows after love for money. Right? Turn my eyes from worthless things. And money can buy a lot of worthless things. A lot of worthless things. I, um, 
My favorite comedian is Nate Bargatze. I love that guy. And um, I, I would, I, just quite honestly, I would love to just, you know, sit down and have lunch with him. I think we're, I think we're kindred spirits. But uh, one of the things that's funny, he's doing his, one of his newest, I think his newest comedy thing, is um, he's talking about his family, and he says, yeah, my sister went out and bought uh, a new boat. And he said, she can't afford a new boat. She's not going to pay the payments on the new boat. So because she knew she was not going to pay the payments on the new boat, she also bought a jet ski. And I think to myself, you can buy a lot of worthless things in your life. I'm, I'm not saying boats and jet skis are worthless. I'm saying it's, um, it's interesting how we can give ourselves over to that kind of stuff. I, I, my pastor I worked for back in like 94, 95, it was the last church I was a youth pastor at. But he used to say this all the time. And the first time he said it, I thought, what is he saying? And he said, I've been praying that some of you cannot afford your RVs. Because the moment you get rich enough to afford an RV, you never come to church anymore. I was like, what? And then it dawned on me, yeah, he's right. We can actually get to an economic level, and it's not always economy. Sometimes it has to do with, well, it's always priority, right? You know it's always priority. But um, we we had some people we knew that got season tickets to a football game, pro football. And every single Sunday they were there, instead of at church. Is it worth it? You're like, what team? No, that's not, that's not the point. <laughs> but it's weird how we do this stuff, right? We, we work hard, God blesses us, all that stuff, and then we trade God for something. He says, take my eyes from worthless things. And just because, you, just because it's something material and tangible doesn't necessarily mean it's worthless, all right? It's, it's how you prioritize it in your life. It's what you do with it. And give me life through your word. Again, worthless things and life in the word are, are opposed here. They're balanced. So th- this, is a, this is an interesting little thing. This is just a biblical study thing. It doesn't have to. It's not going to really change a lot what we're doing. It's just, how, it's just how the writer would flow with things. He says in verse 36, eagerness for your laws, um, not a love for money. Then he comes back and does the opposite. So if you're, if you're graphing this, we used to do this Bible school. So if you're writing a sentence and you indent, I'm doing it for you, not for me. I'm doing it your way. If you have a sentence and then you tab over indent, then you have this, the, the qualifying sentence underneath it. Well, in this, you would say in verse 36, give me an eagerness for your laws, indent, rather than a love for money. So that qualifies that first sentence. Rather than go back and do the next sentence and then indent, this on a piece of paper, this would look like this. Give me an eagerness for your laws, indent, rather than love for money. Stay indented, turn my eyes from worthless things, come back out to the main subject, give me life through your word. You see what I'm saying? First sentence, indent, Next sentence, stay indented, come back to the original subject. The Bible does a lot of those kind of things. Okay, that's what I was talking about earlier. Sometimes you'll indent and have one, two, three points. Now, you've got to be careful between English and Hebrew, but one, two, three points, if it, if it goes back to the main subject and, and expect it to have indent three more points, that's another rhythm. That the right, Does that make sense? Am I losing anybody with any of that? Is that... Everybody kind of follow me, okay? You may even have like a whole paragraph and then have a a qualifying sentence and then you have another paragraph. Well, if it's flowing like that, that next sentence is probably going to do the same thing that that first sentence up there did for its paragraph, right? This is just just the way, and that's that's just a few. There's tons of these things through Scripture. All right, verse 38, reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. What is he talking about there? Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. The promise is not to him. It's to those who fear God. So if he fears God, then the promise is to him only. But the, the second sentence qualifies the first. So for the, the 
promise to be for him, he has to fear God. Okay? So then what would be a promise to you from God's word if you fear him? Anything pop to your mind? Wisdom? Did somebody say that? You get wisdom? That's a, that's a given. If you will fear the Lord, you will have wisdom. And he says you can ask for wisdom and he'll give it to you liberally. Uh, Psalms 103, that, um, um, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Okay, this is a promise, but you have to fear the Lord. The benefit means that you belong to God. And then it says two things. Forgive all your sins, heal all your diseases. Forgive all your sins, heal all your diseases. Those are promises to people that fear the Lord. Okay? Now, this is something that is very important because there's, there's so many qualifying statements throughout Scripture that says, if you, then I, if you, then God will, that kind of thing. And we don't like those because then the, the responsibility is on whom? Us. You have a responsibility. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Um, humble yourself. Uh, turn from your wicked ways. You know the four things. You humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face and turn from your wicked ways. Thank you. Um, those four things. If you do those four things, he will do what? He will heal your land. Guess what? You can pray all day long, God, heal our land, heal our land, heal our land. If you're not doing those four things, he's not going to heal your land. He's already told you what to do, right? He's already told us what to do. I, I have this conversation. I'm going to actually speak about this in a few weeks on the weekend. But I have people constantly come to me and say, how, do I, how can I know what God's will is? That's not a bad question. Every Christian should be asking that. But, guys, there's actually stuff in, in Scripture that tells us very simply in fact, this is the end of it. Then you will know God's perfect and pleasing will. What, what do we do? Then you will know God's perfect and pleasing will. Those are all good things, and there's somewhere in Scripture that, that would have those. But the sentence that says, and then you know, will know God's perfect and pleasing will, it's in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Become a living sacrifice. Become a living sacrifice. Don't trust in what the world says. Become a living sacrifice. And then you will know God's perfect and pleasing will. Right? There's tons of stuff that we see with that where God says, if you'll do this, if you'll do this. The biggest is the, the, the big two that we mentioned earlier. Love God with everything about you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and it's interesting how we can uh, resist those, reject those, try to sidestep around them, and then wonder why God's not really doing the things that he wants to do in, his, in our lives. It's not because he doesn't want to do them. It's because we've not, made our, we've not put ourselves in a place to, to, to be who he's called us to be. Right? Um, here's another one. Let me make sure I say it right. Um, uh, well, this is a simple. This one's out of James. I was going to say one out of John. I'll say that too. Um, but faith without works is what? Dead. So we, we have faith, and we qualify, we qualify faith in American Christianity. It's so silly. We think faith is a feeling to believe God can do something. Well, I know God can do something. That's not what faith is. Faith is knowing that God is at all levels, every circumstance, anything. When it comes to praying for God to do something, we've already established that he is. So therefore, praying for him to do something becomes much more simple to us. The problem is a lot of Christians start at praying for God to do something and never establish in their mind and spirit that he is. So there's a disconnect. And we're trying to work ourselves into a believing mentality rather than a true trust in, in the sovereignty of God mentality. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the Lord says that if you love him, you will obey, keep his commandments. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. You'll do what he says. You'll obey him. Well, how many times do we say, well, I love the Lord, or are you doing this? No. 
But didn't he tell you this? Yeah. I'm not doing that on time. This, what about this sin thing? Well, yeah, but it's, it's kind of my thing that I'm doing. So many times over the years I've seen where people just justify all the stuff they're, they're doing. Instead of what? If you really love the Lord, you'll just do what he says. Whether you like it or not is, is irrelevant at that point. Just do what he says. Why? Because he's God and he said it. That's enough right there. There's a bunch of other reasons, but for me that one's good enough. The, the mentality that we do not like in, in modern-day parenting, that when I grew up, it was, the, it was the go-to answer. We didn't have too many others. Nowadays, this one doesn't even make the cut. But when your parents say, do that, if you were one of those crazy liberal loudmouth kids that would actually say, why? They would say, because I said so. I was not one of those children that said, why? Because that got you knocked down in my house. I am not exaggerating that. You did not say, why? Now, I don't, I don't believe that asking some questions sometimes are, are wrong, but I think parents go way too far nowadays having these big, in-depth discussions that are really just kids arguing with their parents. That's really all they're doing. It's just an accepted form of arguing with your parent. But when you say, you know, whatever, go clean your room. Uh, if I would have done that, my dad would have knocked me unconscious. Guys, I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek, okay? If I would have said, oh, that, oh my goodness. You did not do that in our house. Um, I'll give you one, and I actually had a form of this for my kids. But, um, but if, my, if my dad was on the other side of the house and he hollered out, Scott, there was no answer. You were, you know, in front of him. The idea of hollering in another room, what? Now I could hear him coming and it was not good. But, but this is the thing. We don't like, we don't like this, this mindset. We don't like this, um, this uh, fearing God. We don't like it. In fact, I get, I get so frustrated with preachers that will preach on the fear of God and only define it as um, a reverent awe or um, uh, 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 humbled awe. Is that part of the definition? Yes. But guess what? So is actually being afraid. You say, well, I don't want to be afraid of my God. That's not consistent with Scripture. That is not consistent with Scripture. There better be a part of you. Now, I don't think it has to be up front. I don't think it has to be a major part of your relationship. But I think there, be a, there should be a part of you that says, God created the entire universe. The heavens is his seat and the earth is his footstool. If he taps his toe, he takes out Texas. You better think about that. God opened the ground and swallowed up a bunch of people that were attacking the authority of, of God and Moses. Just opened the ground and swallowed them up. And then a plague started moving across the, the people. 14,000 people died before Aaron got in the, in the way with the, with the staff thing. We, we act like that's not the same God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Guys, and I do think about this a lot in our country today. There, there are so many people that are thumbing their nose at God, and they're doing whatever they want to do, and they do not care what God thinks. They can kill babies. They can, they can run through Israel and murder Jewish um, people, cut their heads off, put their babies in ovens. No fear of God. No fear of God. We'll, we'll groom five-year-old kids. We'll do everything we want to do. Because why? We're God. Guys, here's the reality. Someday there's going to be a day of reckoning. Someday there's going to be a day of reckoning. And he says here, reassure me of your promise to those, uh, made to those who fear you. He's talking about the, the good promises. But you can also reverse this. If there's, not a, if there's no fear of God, the, there are still promises. They're just not good ones. Oh, did you have a question? Um, my question, um, you've gone through it as far as uh, explaining what it means by those who fear you. Um, and you mentioned that there were some other definitions that could also go along with the fear of God. Um, 
at least when I grew up, it was always hell and brimstone <coughs> of God, you know. Um, so <coughs> I, I guess I, throughout my life, I, I had trouble reconciling whether if it was meant to actually be fear, fear, or like a respect of fear, uh, uh, respectable fear, I guess it, it's, it's the way that I, I can explain it. Yeah. Yeah, and it is, it is both. That's what, that's what I was trying to, to say, but th- they are both. The only thing that I hear nowadays is a respect for God. You know, it's not a, he's still, he's still the final judge over everything. To me, that's not just a respect factor. That is a completely humble yourself because he is the sovereign God over everything. There better be some fear, English word fear, rather than just awe or respect in there. But there is both. And so even the way you're saying that, Armando, is is, the same for me. It was difficult for me. I always thought that um, Jesus was trying to catch me doing something wrong. That's the way I looked at it all my life. Now, some of that is also because uh, everything, when I was a kid growing up, everything was sin. Everything was sin. I don't, nothing was, you weren't allowed to, if you had fun, um, you, you were sinning somehow. If you, if you did anything that was halfway enjoyable, you were sinning. And so, there does need to be a balance there. But I think the church has swung so far over to the other side that we don't have this, this you know, bow on your face before God. Every time, every time in Scripture, when God reveals himself to somebody, they always hit the ground with their face to the ground. We don't have that mentality in the church today. You know, this, I know this is a while back, 15, 20 years ago. There was a big um, phase the church went through, and everybody had these T-shirts. Jesus is my homeboy. I, I, I don't like that. I don't like that mentality. Yeah, and then the next day, the pastor of the church finds founds out they've been having a ten-year affair or something. You know, yeah. So, Pat, I uh, back to your point in the very beginning about uh, translations uh, from the rig- from the original Hebrew being different. I like to read different renditions, different translations of the Bible, and I much prefer, for personal reasons, uh, ESVs. Uh, rendering of one Psalm 119.38. It says, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. And the reason that that strikes home to me is I can't count many times that uh, the Lord has spoke maybe to my wife usually, and uh, she's come to me and said, I don't think you need to go scootering today. Ride your motorcycle today because you're going to get hurt. And I used to ignore that, and I'd get hurt. And uh, I, that's why that translation makes more sense to me. Because yeah. confirm to your servant your promise. Listen to what God's saying. And if you don't do it, then I think that's good fear. I think that's healthy fear yeah. to listen to what God says. Yeah, if you're walking outside the Lord... If you're, if you're not walking in the blood of Jesus in a relationship with God, specifically if you know the truth of that, I would be very afraid. I, I was. When I, when I went into the Navy, I knew I wasn't serving God. I was really working hard at not serving God. And, um, and I, was, I was scared all the time. I just knew something was going to happen. Something was going to kill me, and I'm not going to make it to heaven. And I wouldn't, I've discussed this with people. I've discussed it with like once saved, always saved people. Yeah, but you were a Christian when you were a kid, so it was all going to be okay. No, it wasn't. I knew I would split hell wide open. I knew me. I don't care what anybody else thinks scripturally was going on that they changed and, and, man, and manipulated. I knew I was not serving God. I was working at not serving God. And it would scare me. In fact, I think I've mentioned this before. I tithed. I've never not tithed since I was like eight years old, I think, or nine, whenever my parents sat down and explained that to me. 
And I've always tithed. When I went to the Navy, I was tithing back to the church I went to in high school because I just knew if I stopped tithing, God would like, I would be like homeless in the gutter the next day. I don't know how he was going to get it done that fast, but I really felt like that was a reality. Same reason I never really, I never, I was about to say really, but I never took drugs. I did some things, but it takes too long to explain that. But I never took drugs because my parents had convinced me if I took drugs, one time I take drugs and I'm going to be a cocaine addict in the gutter, right? I still am not sure that can't happen. I, I still wouldn't take drugs today for that reason too, but a lot of other good ones, like I love Jesus. But, but so there were things like that that were instilled in me that there was a fear. It wasn't, it wasn't a respect or an awe because my relationship wasn't as uh, developed at that time. But there was a fear that if you, if you step outside of what God is telling you, you will be judged for that. And that is what Scripture says. And I just, man, I was not going to take that chance. Um, with, with finances, I did it with every other area of my life at that time of my life. But. So, verse 39, help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. Obeying his commandments and your life being renewed with goodness are the same thing. It's so important for us. Um, next week, we're going to talk about the Word of God again. And, uh, and I want you to think to yourself, give you some homework to process. When are some times when God has disciplined you? And uh, maybe just sometimes God has disciplined you, whether it made an effect or not. But specifically, He's disciplined you and it's pushed you toward the Lord. When are some of those times? And if you say that's never happened, maybe you haven't been saved very long. You define what I mean by that. Um, because the Lord does discipline us. Right? So, how should we pray about this? I think so. Rekindle a fear in our spirit. What else? What's moving around in your mind with all of this? What's, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, like I said earlier, I always thought Jesus was trying to catch me doing something wrong. That's not Jesus. If he wanted to catch you doing something wrong, he wouldn't have died for you. He would have just left you in the category of doing something wrong. We were already there, but he dies for us. Why? Because he wants to, he wants to convict us so that we repent, and we're not doing that wrong anymore. Right? We need to have that healthy balance, too. Yes, sir. And I think that's huge. Guys, I really do think that's huge. I think one of the worst things in society to this day is, is all of the junk that is social media. There's, there's some good stuff on social media. There is. But most of it, boy, is a waste of time and energy. And some of it is very evil and vitriolic. If I, if I put something online, I love America, there's going to be 5,000 responses of how horrible a person I am and, and how I'm a, some kind of white Christian nationalist and all this stuff. Why? <laughs> so why, why go there? I just don't go to social media a whole lot because of that kind of stuff. I just don't. I don't, I don't need that filth. I don't need that. I don't want to be in that arena. I have to be some because of what I do, but yeah, I think, Todd, I think you're right on there. So, All right, let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you, that you are truly the king above everything. Lord, we submit our mind and our heart to you, that, uh, that you be God, that you stir deep within our spirit an understanding, of d deeper understanding of your sovereignty right now, um, a revelation of your holiness, and Lord, also in that same revelation, a conviction 
of, of um, our lack of holiness in so many ways. But Lord, we need you above everything. Help us to be convicted, but help us to be, uh, help us to repent and be restored too. So Lord, we ask you just to bless us with you, with your grace and your mercy. Um, God, help us to see your love, help us to see the love of Jesus. Lord, I also pray that we do not take it for granted and that we are that we are also awed and overwhelmed by your amazing, majestic power. And Lord, for every one of us, please put deep within our spirit a hunger for your word. A hunger for your word. That we deeply desire your word in our minds and our lives and, and put it deep within our hearts. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, I think we have men's breakfast, don't we, Saturday? Yeah. Men's breakfast Saturday. Women, no girls allowed, but all guys are.